You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about both our unity and our diversity. Uh, Unity in the types of things that we believe about Scripture, and then diversity in the ways that we have been gifted to kind of carry out uh, ministry within the church. And we've been saying that Uh, particularly last week, that that unity combined with that diversity leads to spiritual maturity. We said that uh, spiritual maturity is attained uh, within the church when her members pursue doctrinal unity through teaching and application of the word, and then ministerial diversity through the exercising of various gifts with an attitude of love. And so we saw last week when those two things are functioning correctly, our doctrine is unified and our Uh, ministry is diversified, that it leads to spiritual maturity within the church family. And we talked about growing up into Christ-like integrity last week, what it looks like to have an ever-changing approach to uh, seeing ourselves being conformed to the image of Christ, and then what it looks like to grow up into doctrinal stability, uh, that we don't change our core beliefs, that we're anchored to right teachers and right teaching, not just right teachers, because sometimes right teachers deviate from the right teaching Uh, later in life. And so we want to be ingrained and anchored to the right teaching. And then we talked about growing up into truthful charity where we counteract the deceit that's out there by being people who can speak truth uh, in love to others, Uh, that we use our gifts to minister to others in truthful ways to build them up into maturity. And so I challenged you last week as an application point to um, not be content with your spiritual maturity, but to continue pursuing uh, growth with your faith Uh, And then using your gifts to not neglect your gifts or to despise your gifts because they're not the gifts that you maybe would have chosen for yourself, but to use the gifts that God has given to you uh, to help grow others. All right, so we'll jump into our text today in um, chapter 4, verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Our passage says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Our summary sentence for today. Believers are called to live out their new identity in Christ in ways that are distinct from the lost world and different from their pre-Christian past by submitting their minds to the word and responding in obedience to what they learn. Believers are called to live out their new identity in Christ in ways that are distinct from the lost world and different from their pre-Christian past by submitting their minds to the word and responding in obedience to what they learn. For our kids, Christians are called to think and to act differently than non-Christians. Paul transitions after talking about unity and diversity leading into maturity. He now shifts gears and begins to talk about purity, the purity that we're to experience as believers and to pursue as believers, the type of purity that would distinguish us from people who aren't following Christ, that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we're going to talk uh, here briefly about why the Gentiles even walk the ways that they do. Why do they live the ways that they live? And how do we change that moving forward for us when we do become believers in Christ? Um, Paul's saying that we can't be useful with our gifts 
We can't be helpful in growing others into maturity if we aren't committed to a lifestyle of purity. Paul's repackaging an idea that he's already given to us back in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, You'll remember back there in chapter 2, he talks about the ways that we were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. This is the way that you used to live, and now uh, we're reminded again here in chapter 4 that we've been saved to good works. We've been saved to live differently. The way that we live is inevitably shaped by the way that we think. Um, Paul begins to talk about how to live, but then he reverts very quickly back to the ways that we think, because the ways that we think shape the ways that we live. Uh, Changing the way that you live uh, is sourced in changing the way that you think. Look what he says. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The idea that their thinking is wrong is why their living is wrong. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is where we've been studying as C groups and D groups. We had a great D group discussion at my group uh, this past Wednesday. And I want to draw your attention to the section that, that I was studying, particularly in 1 Peter 1, and that starts in verse 13. Look what it says. It's a real similar idea coming from Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What's the idea that Peter's saying there? He's saying, look, you're supposed to live differently than how you previously lived. And that starts with you preparing your minds for action. So we talked a lot in our group Wednesday about what it looks like to prepare your mind for action. How do we set our mind on the right course, which will then lead to rightful behavior? Why do the Gentiles live live the way that they do, and how are we to live differently? Well, if we go back to Ephesians 4, we're told why they live the way that they live. We're told that they're... uh, Minds are futile. They're darkened in their understanding. I put in my notes, why do the Gentiles do what they do? Their minds are programmed towards futile things. They're darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from life with God and his people. They are ignorant to his promises and commands. Their hearts are hardened and calloused to what they do know. They are trapped in a pursuit for earthly pleasure. They are greedy and impure with a mindset of self-preservation. The idea there being that they are greedy and impure. They want their needs met. They want their desires satisfied. And they are greedy in the sense that they want it done. And they're not willing to wait for it. They're not willing to trust someone else to provide that for them. They go after it themselves with all kinds of impurities. With all kinds of acts of impurity. They live this way because their hearts are darkened. Their their minds are darkened. They're ignorant. They're alienated. And these are ways that we were described before our salvation, right? We've already seen in Ephesians. Uh, As Gentiles ourselves, we were separated from the people of God. And that salvation has brought us near to these things of God now, right? But in that state of being distant, we too were darkened and alienated and hard in our hearts. But salvation has changed us. Paul says, this is not the way you learned Christ. He starts this passage in verse 17 saying that I testify in the Lord. Uh, Another translation would be that I insist upon this. 
I'm insisting that you get this message. I'm insisting that you live this way, contrary to how the Gentiles live. You'll remember back in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Back in the beginning of this chapter, he's urging us towards unity. Now he's insisting or begging us towards purity. There's new responsibilities that come with this new identity. We've been talking about our new identity all through Ephesians. What it means to come to Christ. What it means to be a child of God. This identity that we enjoy. Well, it comes with new responsibilities. We're commanded to not live like a pagan. We're commanded to not walk and live like non-Christians. We're we're instructed to not be shaped by the culture around us, but instead to do the shaping of it. Put in my notes, we ought to be distinctly different in the ways we choose to live out our lives. We ought to be distinctly different. And we talked about this back in the Sermon on the Mount where we talked about how as salt and light, like we're supposed to revolutionize our environments as Christians. The environments that we find ourselves in are supposed to be radically different. And I was encouraged this week. Um, we had a, a kid that's gone through our middle school that's in ninth grade now, plays on the football team. And I was hearing a story of something that took place this summer where there was some discussion amongst him and some of the other players and some coaches, and I think some outside people were kind of speaking into them too. And um, this ninth grader ends up speaking up about concerns that he has about the culture within our football program, and he's, he's upset about the tolerance of certain types of music and certain types of language in the locker room, that, it, that it's not consistent. It's not consistent with what it should be at a Christian school, right? That it's, that it's not okay for us to basically have a locker room like the Gentiles would have, right? It ought to be distinctly different. It ought to be, it ought to be way different. It ought to be uh, a place where, where light is filled and not darkness to be found. And so Paul's kind of saying that same thing. He's like, hey, as believers, as Christians, you should be living differently, not as, not as Gentiles do, but as believers, those who have had their minds reshaped and changed and altered. So I want us to see how this kind of looks in the passage today as we work through verses 17 through 20. And I want us to help answer this question. How do I obey Paul's insistence to not walk like a Gentile? How do I obey Paul's insistence to not walk like a Gentile? Well, it starts, number one, by preparing your mind for action. That terminology comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, where our uh, ladies will be gathering this week to continue that study and discussion. Prepare your mind for action. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must not, uh, you must not, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Prepare your mind for action. It starts with number one, determining what it means for you to live like a Gentile in order to avoid doing so, right? Real basic idea here. Paul's saying, don't live like a Gentile. Well, the, the natural question should be, how do Gentiles live? Because if we can get a good idea, a good grasp on what it means to live like a Gentile, well, then we can take steps in order to avoid doing so, right? So let's, let's think for a minute. What does it look like for a Gentile to live in a certain way? And then how do we avoid doing so? Now, we were talking about this um, at our uh, D group this past Wednesday, um, just about the timelessness of this passage, right? That this passage was written, you know, close to 2,000 years ago as they were gathering in uh, small groups and house churches, they're, they're cycling the, the uh, letter to the Ephesians here around, and they're reading this, and they're pondering it, and they're, 
They're probably having discussions about, okay, how do we do this? Paul's telling us not to live like Gentiles. How do we do this? And, you know, I was just struck by the fact that we're, we're there in, in Arun's house and we're gathered around a table and we're talking about the implications of this 2,000 years later. But it's still not okay to live like a Gentile. But it's still not okay to do the things that Gentiles do. And then I kind of got us off track because I, I fast-forwarded to the future and I was like, think about like if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, there'll be Christians 2,000 years from now still reading this passage and still talking about what does it mean? And what does it look like to not live like a Gentile, right? Like, who knows what we're doing in 2,000 years? We could be church planning on Mars, right? And, and there would be Christians on Mars having small groups about what it looks like to not live like unbelievers, right? It's a timeless passage. Like, it doesn't change. It doesn't alter. So even the things that it talks about in this passage about uh, purity and, and, and particularly sexual purity, like, the things that it speaks to here are timeless, that we live differently than the Gentiles live. We must not share in the same way of thinking with the same expression of attitude and action that Gentiles have. Right? We, we're to look different. Every environment that we find ourselves in is to look different. Right? So you go to work and you're with your coworkers, and there's um, the, the norm is to experience grumbling and complaining and uh, maybe even um, gossip and slander towards coworkers. That we don't participate in that, like, that it's different. Uh, that we're different, that we bring a different, uh, a different aspect to the environments that we find ourselves in because we're striving to live differently because this is what a Gentile would do. This is what an unbeliever would look like in that environment, and we're to look differently. So it starts with us thinking through, and I would encourage you this week to think through what does it look like to live like a Gentile so that you can live contrary to that, right? Determining what it means for you to live like a Gentile in order to avoid doing so. And then number two after you've kind of thought through what does this look like, number two is don't regress in your walk and do the things that Gentiles do, things that you used to do or could have done. So this is like you kind of thinking through, okay, these are things that I used to do before I came to Christ or things that I was protected from doing because I got saved early in life, right? We don't want to regress. So Paul's telling us don't walk like Gentiles do. There's two aspects of that. One, don't start doing things that you used to do that you've been rescued from and been sanctified from, and you've shown progress and growth and maturity in, don't regress in your walk and do the things that Gentiles do. But then number three, don't settle in your walk and continue doing the things that Gentiles do, things that you're currently doing or ponder doing. So this is areas of your life that still needs to be cleaned up, things that still need to uh, be eradicated from your life, things that still need to... um, uh, have you be convicted over and, and for the Holy Spirit to change in your life? So kind of asking the question to yourself, what progress have I made in my sanctification that I need to maintain those areas, right? These are things that, man, five years ago or even two years ago or even maybe three months ago, I was really struggling with this or this was a pattern that was true in my life and I've seen myself be able to break from that, right? We want to maintain that status in our life. We don't want to go back and live those ways that we used to live Um, But we also don't want to be content with where we're at spiritual maturity-wise. We want to keep progressing. So we kind of examine our life and say, you know what? While God has rescued me and saved me and uh, sanctified me in certain areas, there are things that are still very much a pattern in my life that need to be fixed, that need to be transformed and changed. And so Paul would say, hey, don't live like a Gentile. Don't go back and do the things that you previously did. But he would also say, stop doing some of the things that you're currently doing or even maybe thinking about doing 
right? Those things aren't consistent with being a believer either. What progress have you made in your sanctification? Maintain that. And then what progress still needs to be achieved in your sanctification? And pursue that. Okay, so Paul says, don't live like a Gentile. Avoid living like a Gentile. And so the reminder to us would be to prepare our minds for action, to think about what does it mean to live like a Gentile? And how can I avoid that? How can I, how can I deviate from that path? Number two is we submit our minds for change. So we prepare our minds for this type of action. Then we submit our minds for change. We submit our minds to be changed. Because as we read in the text, as unbelievers, and even as we become believers and come to Christ, our minds are messed up. And they need to be reprogrammed. For us to not walk as Gentiles do, our minds have to be set no longer on futile things. We we have to experience light in our minds versus the darkness that has hindered our understanding. We have to see ourselves no longer alienated from the life of God, but being informed and welcomed and fellowshiped within the life of God. To no longer be ignorant, to no longer have hardness of hearts, to have soft hearts that respond to God's word. Uh, they are no longer callous, they no longer give themselves over to sensuality and greediness. Um, that by learning Christ, we're changed, our minds are changed. And so, number one, we must pursue ways for our minds and hearts to be enlightened through the word. We must pursue ways for our minds and hearts to be enlightened through the word. Because as we come to Christ, or prior to coming to Christ, our our understanding is darkened, Paul tells us. Now we know from other passages of Scripture that God speaks through his word to reorder our thinking, to fix our thinking. Romans 12, 2 talks about this. That we don't be conformed to the world, instead we be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Because the ways that we live are shaped by the ways that we think. So don't live like the world. Where does that start? by having your mind transformed. So Paul's telling us the same thing in Romans, right? To to prepare your minds for action, to submit your minds for change, so that you can then live differently than the lost world. Now go over to Romans chapter 1, because we see this idea of uh, darkened understanding and calloused hearts. This is the trajectory that we were saved from or rescued from. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, having been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind 
to do what ought not to be done. And he goes on to talk about this, the, the downward spiral that God gives them over to because of their sin. Now think about where it starts. It starts with them knowing things about God. Even from a general revelation standpoint, we know things about God just by looking at creation, his eternal power, his divine nature. The Bible says that mankind, as a general rule, has taken what can be known about God and suppressed it and rejected it and chosen to live contrary to it. And when we make that choice and decision, God just gives us over to those sinful desires to where more sin comes and more sin comes and more sin comes. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap of being told things about God and informed about God through his word and then rejecting it. We turn to sin and then God kind of gives us over to that and allows sin to take its course into our life. Right? Instead, we're to submit our minds for change. We've been saved from this trajectory. We don't have to go down this path. We've been granted what uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 and what we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 3, a totally different trajectory. So go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, not ignorance, wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, right, contrary to the darkness, that you may know what is the hope to which has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what's the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his might that he worked in Christ. Flip back over to Ephesians 3. This, again, is the great privilege that's been granted to us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, verse 14, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, right, our minds again, to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's the path that the Gentile is on, Romans chapter 1. Rejecting God, spiraling downward into sin. Then there's this new path that we're rescued and saved to that Paul talks about in Ephesians, where our hearts are being enlightened. The darkness is being suppressed. We're being informed about the things of God. We're now being given hope that we previously didn't have. And so now we can live out this, this change as our minds are being changed. We may take advantage of the opportunities afforded to us through the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, right? So we pursue ways for our minds and our hearts to be enlightened through the word. You come here on a Sunday. You come, and I don't care what age you are, you come here on a Sunday to be changed by the word. Whatever our kids can pick up, man, I believe that God uses that to change their hearts and minds. Whatever our youth can pick up and take and apply, I believe God uses that to change their hearts and their minds. We, we assist in that process by coming prepared to, to listen and to hear from God. And then we leave here on a Sunday and we, we have opportunities throughout the week to read and study God's word, to be taught from our parents, to be taught from our teachers maybe, to have opportunities to submit our minds to God's word, to be changed. We take advantage of these opportunities. Why? Because God has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why does he give us people that explain God's word to us? So that we don't have to be tossed to and fro. We don't have to be deceived by the things of this world, Ephesians tells us. So that we can grow up into a doctrinal stability. So that we can have our minds thinking right. 
which helps us to live right. We pursue ways for our minds and hearts to be enlightened through the word. And then number two, we must pursue ways for our minds and hearts to be altered through Christian fellowship. He says, previously, you're darkened in your understanding. That's why Gentiles live the way they do, because they're darkened in their understanding. But he also says, you're alienated from the life of God. Remember, we talked about this as as Gentiles, prior to coming to Christ, we're separated from God's people. We're separated from God's family. But when we come to Christ, we become part of the church. And we're granted the distinct privilege of joining God's people and enjoying the hope found in the promises that are now given to us. So you go back to chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? At one point in our life, we were distant, we were ignorant, we were separated and alienated from the things of God. Now that we're believers, we're welcomed and we're brought into this and we're made aware of the covenants and the promises and the hope that is extended to believers. So we submit our minds to be changed, to experience this enlightenment, to experience this changing of darkness to light to where we see things differently. And by seeing things differently, we start to act differently. Things that used to be important to us are no longer important. I was having the, uh, the, the task of getting Apollos ready the other day. Um, and he was enamored with some things in our house, toys that he wanted to play with. We were trying to get out of the house and go swimming, right? Which is far better than any toys that we have in our house, right? But his perspective's limited. And so he's, he's crying and wanting like, to play with this toy in our bedroom. And I'm trying to... I'm trying to get his attention to help him see that his mindset's wrong, that he's thinking wrongly about what's fun right now. And he's crying, and he's pouty, and he's angry at me. And I finally get him settled enough to listen to me, and I'm like, buddy, let's put your bathing suit on, and let's go swimming. And he's like, what? Like, and his whole expression changes, right? Like, the tears stop immediately. His anger towards me shifts immediately. And all of a sudden, his eyes light up, and this smile comes on his face, and he's like, yeah. Yeah, let's put my bathing suit on. Like, I want to go swimming, right? Like, he's set on, like, futile things, and all of a sudden his mindset is shifted to things that are far better than what he's playing with. And what, what seems like a time where he's frustrated and angry and greedy and selfish and wanting, 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 and then his mindset's redirected to something far better. And now all of a sudden he's submitted to me and doing what I'm asking him to do because he realizes, man, the trajectory's better. Like, I'm fighting you and arguing with you And now my mind has really grasped the understanding of what it is you're trying to take me to. That's what it's like in the Christian life, right? Before Christ, we're we're, we're mellowing and playing with things on this earth that are temporary, that are futile, that are far less than all these blessings that we talked about in Ephesians 1. All these things that God wants to bestow upon us. We're like, no, I want this stuff. And then when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and minds and awakens us, it's like, ah, this is better. Like, I don't have to fight you and reject you and rebel against you anymore. I follow you because I see that where you're wanting to take me is far better than where I'm trying to take myself. We submit our minds for change. We submit our minds to God's word so that we can be informed about the hope and the promises extended to us. And then number three, 
We set our minds on obedience. We set our minds on obedience. Prepare your mind for action. Think about what it looks like to live like a Gentile so we can avoid it. Think about where you used to be and how God has saved you and changed you. And don't ever go back there. But also think about where God still needs to change you and be willing to to let him change you in those areas. Don't be content to hang on to things that you're currently hanging on to that need to be removed from your life. Submit your mind to God's word so that your thinking can be changed, so that you're convicted about things that you're not currently convicted about. Right? We come to, to hear God's word preached and taught so that there's things that we're missing are brought to our attention. Blind spots that have been tolerated we're made aware of because of God's word. But all that's futile if we, if we don't set our minds towards obedience. It's one thing to just hear God's word and to be challenged by God's word. But if we're hearers of the word only and we walk out and do nothing with it, we're just like Romans 1 where we have knowledge about God, but we suppress it, we reject it, and continue to turn towards our sin. So number one, we must determine the direction we intend to go and the purposes we intend to fulfill. We must determine the direction we intend to go and the purposes we intend to fulfill. The the Gentile mind is set on futile things, futile directions, futile purposes. But if we're saying that we want to be the type of people that God's called us to be, we want to be living a life worthy of the calling given to us, then we have to determine that, you know what? I've been called to be conformed to the image of Christ. I've been called to be unified with other believers. I've been called to use my gifts in diverse ways to help people mature. That's my calling as a believer. That's the direction placed upon my life as a believer. Therefore, my choices and decisions must fall in alignment with that purpose. Right? If my purpose is to enjoy this world and to enjoy the pleasures of this world, then I'm always going to be living contrary to Scripture. I'm always going to rub wrongly with Scripture. But if I've set my heart and mind on the fact that, hey, my purpose in life, my direction in life, the things that I want to fulfill in life are different than the things of this world, then we're setting our minds towards obeying the things that we're seeing in Scripture. Gentiles have their minds and hearts and lives set on things that are futile and passing. First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Gentiles have their minds set on the selfish fulfillment of their fleshly desires. They give themselves to impurity in a greedy way. They aim at meaningless goals with silly methods. But Christians do something different. They set their minds on things that extend beyond the immediate pleasures offered here. Look what Romans 13 says. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness... And put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. To gratify its desires. Colossians 3 verse 1. 
If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, again, that thinking piece, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, right? Determine the direction that you intend to go. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He goes on in verse 5 of Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, what is Gentile in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We determine the direction that we intend to go, the purposes we intend to fulfill, so that we respond in obedience to God's word. Number two, we must resolve to keep our hearts soft and our responses quick to his promptings. We must resolve to keep our hearts soft and our responses quick to his promptings. Back in Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So we as believers, we set our minds on better things. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. We see God changing that too through Christ, his Holy Spirit. We're no longer dark in our understanding. We're no longer alienated from the life of God. We're no longer ignorant. We've been brought near. We've been informed of these things. We've got uh, enlightenment towards these things. But then this next piece, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous. They give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What are they guilty of? They're guilty of hardening their hearts when there is conviction, when there is an awareness that, 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 an awareness that like, they need to be doing something, uh, they reject it. They, they turn from it. They, they rebel against it. If we fail to submit our minds to the word, we're ignorant. But if we fail to obey the word after submitting our minds to it, we become callous and insensitive. All of us have, have, have had calluses on our hands before, right? It's where you lose, like, sensitivity and feeling due to the, the, the scars that have kind of uh, come up and bubbled up on your hands. If you've been doing yard work, you've got blisters, they callous over, and there's like hardly any feeling there until it fully heals, right? That's what our hearts become when we're exposed to God's word and we just keep saying no to it, right? When we keep coming on a Sunday, uh, when we keep sitting under the teaching of God's word and we keep saying, I don't care. I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't care about doing that. Um, our hearts become calloused. Uh, opportunities to turn and choose to do the right thing are ignored. Uh, there's a refusal to accept the good news of what it looks like to change and follow Christ. It's a hardened rejection. Mark chapter 3. Jesus is talking to uh, Pharisees and religious leaders and he's healing on the Sabbath and they're, 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 upturred, they're, 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 they're put off by the fact that he's healing on the Sabbath. And it says in verse 6, he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Right? He's angry at the fact that these Pharisees and religious leaders are hardened towards his teaching, hardened towards what he's trying to do as the Messiah. If we're not careful, our hearts can become that way too. Um, if we're not careful, we can create a calloused hardness in our own life. Um, and it leads to every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Look what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. Verse 3. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. He says the reason Gentiles live this way is because they don't know. They don't know God. They're not in tune with God. But you are, and so you should therefore live differently. The more you suppress the truth, though, the less capable you become of discerning spiritual realities. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to the person who calls good evil and the person who calls evil good. Like their, their discernment about spiritual realities is off. Like it's, it's warped. Man, I, I, it was crazy because I always think that like the middle school age is like a, a weird age. I've worked with it now for 10 plus years. But man, it like hit me like a ton of bricks this week because we have two chapel services. We have a chapel service for fourth and fifth grade, and then we have a chapel service for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I was just blown away. Something happens when you move from fifth grade to sixth grade. Like, it's almost like that's where the callousness can set in because I'm sitting there watching fourth and fifth grade at our chapel service. We don't ever have to ask those kids to sing. We don't ever have to ask those kids to participate in worship. Right? Our guy that leads worship for both chapel services. And we're talking like fifth grade to sixth grade, like not a huge time lapse there. Right? The kids are up, they're singing, they're clapping, they're they're celebrating, they're happy, they're 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 virtually screaming the lyrics. Right? Like he has them fully engaged, fully participated. You go to middle school chapel, it is different. I mean it is different. Right? I mean most of the kids are just standing there you got some kids that are, that are dialed in that really want to use that time to worship, and the others are just like, how much longer? When can we sit down? When can we be done with this? It's crazy the difference that happens there. And as I'm studying this passage, I'm thinking like, man, the longer you're exposed to God's word and the, the more you don't do anything with it, the danger there is that callousness will set in, hardness will set in, and there's a rejection towards it that leads to a, a lifestyle that's inconsistent. And we have to be on guard against a similar response. We can't resist times that we have to repent. We can't keep making the wrong choices or we're going to fall away, the Bible tells us. Look at this last passage in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but he's saying the exact same stuff that Peter has been saying, that Paul has been saying. He says, look, you've got to, you've got to be around Christian fellowship. You're no longer alienated from it. You've been brought near to the, to the blood of Christ and welcomed into the people of God. You need to set your mind on obedience by putting yourself in a position where you can experience fellowship, where you can be altered through Christian fellowship, um, enjoying the hopes and the promises that come with Christian fellowship, um, and then being um, confronted when you're starting to deviate from the path that we're supposed to be on, the Ephesians 1, the Ephesians 3 path, when we start to go back to the Romans 1 path where we're rejecting the knowledge that we have about God and we're choosing sin over God, that the individuals in our life would speak into that so that our hearts don't grow hard by the deceitfulness of sin. 
right? Paul's already talked about in Ephesians 4. We want to avoid the deceitfulness that's out there, the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the world. We want to listen to the teaching of God's word so that we grow up into doctrinal stability. But it's not just about coming on a Sunday and hearing me teach or hearing somebody else teach. There's the need for Christian fellowship in our life where people speak to our hearts when we're not seeing it, when our hearts are growing hard and we don't see it, for someone to speak into us, to exhort us so that we don't fall away. The implication of this passage for us is that to believe and live like Gentiles, this is not the gospel and not how we learned Christ. We've been instructed differently. Don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live any longer like that. There's a reason they live that way, and the reasons they live that way have all been changed for you. You're different now. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. I sit with a lot of parents in my office after discipline-type situations. Um, you either get the parents who defend their kid to the end, um, and will tell you every adult on our campus is a liar. Um, those, are, those are a group of parents. Then you have these other group of parents that come in, and they, they sit at, at my desk, and sometimes there's tears. And they're like, I'm, I'm so embarrassed by the way my kid's acting. That is not the way we raise them. That's not the way we do things in our house. They know different. They know better. Right? That, this is Paul's like parental language here. He's talking to his kids, and he's like, don't live like Gentiles. I've raised you differently. You've learned Christ differently. You know better than to live this way. Right? We should be thinking differently, responding differently, and acting differently from the pagan culture. Why? Because we have the truth of God's word. We have the promises of God's word. Right? We know that we're going swimming. We know that our dad wants to give us clothes to go swimming, right? Like we're like Apollos and we should be looking up and saying, yeah, like that's way better than what I've been doing. Like we're not, we're not ignorant anymore. We know where God wants to take us. We know the hope that he's given to us. So don't be like the Gentiles. But here's where you hear this message over and over and you can easily think like or easily fall prey to like becoming almost self-righteous about it. Right? To where we would look at other people and say, I'm better than you because I don't live that way. I don't think that's Paul's mindset here. He's not saying don't be like them so that you feel better about yourself or so that you improve your chances with God. I think he's saying don't be like them for the sake of them. They need to see the gospel in action. They need to see people who live differently than them so that they're drawn to Christ. Last passage we'll look at is 1 Peter chapter 4. Don't live like the Gentiles, but don't, go pride, don't grow prideful about not living like the Gentiles. See it as an opportunity to win the Gentiles. 1 Peter 4, 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Right? The, the time has passed for living like a Gentile, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this passage even alludes to the fact that, hey, we're to be different from the Gentiles while being with the Gentiles, 
They're supposed to see us in these contexts living differently, not choosing to do the things that they do, doing things differently than how they do them, right? And, and for some, that's going to result in persecution. But we know from other passages, for some, they see our good deeds, they see our good works, and they turn to God to give him glory for it, right? And so we live differently from the Gentiles because the Gentiles need to see there's a different way of living than Romans chapter 1. They need to see that there's a different way of going about life. We're called to be that example. We're called to be that light to point them to Jesus. Our identity truths to remember today, number one, every Christian is called to live out their identity in a way that distinctly separates them from how non-Christians live. We're called to live out our identity in a way that distinctly separates us from how non-Christians live. We're to be distinct from the lost world, different from our pre-Christian past. We do that by submitting our minds to the word, and then responding to the word in obedience. Our two questions to ponder as we leave today. Number one, are you submitting your mind to God's word on a regular basis so that your thinking can be transformed? And for our students, are you submitting your minds to God's word? Like you've, for, for a lot of our kids sitting in here, you've moved out of the fourth and fifth grade age and you're in the middle school, high school age, and that's when the callousness is possible. It's when the callousness can really set in. Are you submitting your minds to God's word? Are you responding in obedience to what you hear from God's word? Or do you just continue to say, don't care, not important, my friends aren't doing it, why would I do it? Right? Live differently than the Gentile world. Live differently than your immature Christian friends too. Right? It's not just about living differently from the Gentiles. Live differently from immature Christians who are, who are like on this trajectory of falling away from the faith. Man, live it out in obedience. Be different. Be different. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've called us to. We thank you that you've given us the ability to live this out. That it's not just an, uh, a call for us to give our best effort to do this, but you've given us the Holy Spirit to change our minds. Uh, but God, you also have called us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we have to submit ourselves to you, submit our minds to your word, where the Holy Spirit will then change it. So God, help us to, to be faithful, to submit ourselves to you, to prepare our minds for action, to, to take serious what's being told to us here, that we're to live differently than Gentiles. It's the same message you've been giving your people for thousands of years. And it's the same message that you'll continue to give your people until Jesus comes back. God, help us to listen to it. Help us not to have callous hearts this morning. Help us not to be okay with living close to like the Gentiles, but maybe slightly different. God, help us to be passionate about living way different. Way different because our minds have been changed. We're no longer set on futile things. We're no longer dark in our understanding. We're no longer alienated from God's people. God, help us to see the great privileges and benefits that you've given to us in salvation and how it can radically change us moving forward. God, I pray for our students. God, I pray that you would convict them God, protect them from growing callous as they grow up in a Christian home where they're fed this constantly. God, we want to be a, a church that produces kids that, that go on to be um, unbelievable followers of you, not, not kids who grow up and can't wait to get out of the house so they can live the way they want to live and break free from mom and dad's faith. God, protect them from being calloused and hard to the things of you. God, I pray that you'd break through that tough skin and that you would bring conviction where it's needed. God, help them to see that they're at the age now where they can, 
They can choose to follow you without mom and dad telling them to. They can see the goodness of your word and see the hope that's found in your word and make the choice to follow you because it's the right thing to do. It's the best thing to do. God, help them to see that and draw them to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.